Welcome to the Should Have Bet More podcast presented by Gold Boys coming up on the show today. I and Eagle of TNT, CBS, you name it, does the Nets games. We will talk college basketball, NBA, maybe get into some NFL even with him, get his thoughts. Haven't talked to him in a while. Always fun talking to Ian. Uh, before we get to him, we'll start with well, let's, we'll start with college basketball because you know it's funny. I uh, did the show Sunday into Monday, and you know basically talked about how UConn was the best team and the best team by a significant gap. They had a tough game, a tough turnaround where they bury Marquette Saturday, play at Creighton, who's a good team. A few days later, and Creighton absolutely buries him. So a few people reached out and said, "Boy, we, you really, you really jinx UConn." I think a couple things. First of all, they weren't going to just. Their schedule was too tough. They weren't going to just run the table. They weren't on a 14-game winning streak going into the Creighton game. They weren't going to just run the table their last, whatever, six or seven Big East games, win the Big East tournament, win six games in the tournament. They weren't going to win the championship and finish the season on a 30-game winning streak. And um, I mean, they're, they're just, they're good. They're not that good. So maybe we crowned them a little too early. Maybe people are guilty of that, myself included, but doesn't concern me. Uh, I, I still think they're the best team, but maybe the, the gap between them and the best team do we exaggerate a little bit? I'm not sure. I'm not ready to go there yet. I, I would still pick them to win the title. But look, I mean, they're, you look at the odds, they're plus 500. They're not minus 500. So they're still a, an underdog to win this thing based on the format, based on the nature of the tournament. And there's other good teams out there. So UConn got buried the other night by Creighton. I know a lot of people mentioned that. Um, but but UConn, I wouldn't worry about too much. I mentioned the odds. UConn, 5-1. to one, Purdue, plus 650. Houston, plus 950. Arizona, 11-1. to one, Tennessee, 15-1. to one. Go down the line here. Just anything I think is interesting. Marquette is twenty-three to one. Creighton, who was fifty to one before that UConn game, now at thirty-four to one. Um, so, so you did you know see see a number there shift where hey, if you liked Creighton before that game, you said hey, this is how you got to play these odds too. Just you know going forward with futures before that Creighton UConn game, you said if you liked Creighton to win the game, I mean you could have gotten Creighton plus three, but you could have also. Saying, you know what? If they can, if Creighton is going to win this game, that fifty to one is not going to be there anymore. Let me take the fifty to one. So, something to keep an eye on, just how to think these things forward, how to think these things through going forward. This weekend in college basketball, couple good games. I mean, to be honest, it's the dog days. It's the point where, you know, watching these games, betting these games is one thing, but in terms of like having any real juice for these games, I I'm ready for these conference tournaments, and we still got an another week, ten days before we get there. So we're, we're almost there. Again, the the gap between the Super Bowl and these conference tournaments is not that long anymore. So you could live with a week or two where you just have regular season college basketball. And for people that haven't been been paying attention, you get to sort of catch up on these teams, do a little scouting, do a little preparing for uh, you know, for for the for March Madness, where you're going to fill out your bracket, things like that, who you're going to pick. So, I mean, this weekend we got Baylor-Houston's a good game. Again, I still don't tr totally trust Houston. What, what, I just think they're not that good from the foul line. What they did last year against Miami in the Sweet 16 where they got buried, I can't get that out of my head. They're a good team. I think they're a little vulnerable on the glass sometimes. They almost play like a football team. They're so rugged if they get – they're very referee-dependent where if they get a, a bad whistle, they're going to – you know, they're going to put you on the foul line. They can give up some offensive rebounds because they're always scrambling all over the place. So Baylor Houston this weekend, Alabama, Kentucky, Kentucky uh, has played a little better. So that'll be an interesting game to keep an eye on. Kentucky obviously has the talent. Bama is just a machine on offense. So that's a fun game to watch. But other than that, waiting for the, uh, waiting for the tournament to get around. NBA is back. Long all-star break, very long all-star break. I haven't been on since what they did on that all-star game. I was recording right when the all-star game, I thought was about to start Sunday night last week, uh, you know, four or five days ago. 
And they're supposed to start the game 7.45, 8 o'clock. I, I guess the game didn't tip until 8.45, which is a, a, a problem with the NBA to begin with. I mean, start the games on. They're just, if you're going to be somewhere, be somewhere. Just start the games when you say you're going to start the games. Don't tell me the game's going to start at 8, and then it doesn't start till you know, 8.12, 8.15. In this case, 8.45. And what they did the other night was completely ridiculous. Just, just uh, where is the competitive nature? Just have some sort of, Pride gives the fans something. I mean, the fans that go to those games pay a lot of money. I know people say, hey, these guys make a lot of money. They don't want to get hurt. Um, it's the All-Star game. It's never mattered. This game used to be good. It used to be fun, and now it sucks. And I know the, the days after the All-Star game, people are coming up with ideas, brainstorming how to fix it, how to make it better. I, I don't know. Could you play the world versus the USA? I, I don't think they'd ever get to the point where they did what baseball did for a few years and that played for home court advantage in, in the finals. I don't. I just think that's too extreme. I don't think the players would agree to it. I don't know that anybody wants that. I'd be okay with it. Um, again, you're going to get into a situation where if that were the case, though, and the, the team that comes out of the West has eight more wins in the East, should the West not have home court in the finals because of some stupid all-star game? Now, you could counter that with saying, hey, they just, for a while, they used to rotate. So if you're going to rotate, um, and I think it was I think it was basketball where they used to rotate. No, no, baseball is where they rotated, which is why I didn't have a problem with the all-star game. But besides the point, to um, I, I don't think it'll ever come down to where they play the all-star game for home court. I, I don't, maybe they do the world versus the USA. I, I thought getting back to the East West was decent. Yeah, if the players aren't going to care, they're just not going to care. And um, it becomes a thing where since nobody cares, it's not, you're not going to be the one guy trying. So it, it becomes the cool thing to do to just not care. Just sit there in an all-star game where you have 211 to, to 187 or four. I mean, you get 400 points in the game. It's just completely ridiculous. And you go back and watch past all-star games. Kobe guarded Jordan. Jordan guarded Kobe. I mean, they played some defense. They were It was a basketball game, and now it's just become ridiculous. And it, it, it is a bad look for the league. It really is. I know in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. The playoffs will still be good. You can't have a league, though, where nothing matters. Hey, we you know, regular season is load management. Uh, all-star game, oh, we're too cool for that. Preseason doesn't matter. At some point, something's got to matter. At some point, something has to matter because these – TV companies, whether TNT, ESPN, I mean, you're going to get into the room with these TV deals and say, hey, if I'm the, if I'm TNT, if I'm ESPN, what am I paying for? What am I getting if I buy your league? You can, you care sometimes, you don't care the other times. Like, what, what product is this? The NFL, you know, these teams don't take off week six for load management. I know it's different. Obviously, long schedule, long season in the NBA, in the regular season really doesn't matter, but they at least for a long time pretended like it did matter. So I don't know what the solution is going forward. It's gotten, Worse, it hasn't gotten better. And Silver came out. That's why we saw the, the total move so much before the All-Star game. Silver came out and said, hey, we're all on the same page. The game has gotten really bad. We're going to have a more competitive game. We all agreed to it. Uh, and that's why that total got bet down a good 10, 12 points. And what happens? They go out and they score 400 points. And Silver's got no control of the league. He's really, he's too lax with these guys. Stern used to rule with an iron fist. And it's gotten out of control. So I don't know if there's fixing. I guess my, my guess would be the next thing they do, the next gimmick they try is they try to make it so it's the usa versus the world and see if that brings some competitiveness out of them if you're going to play for your country that kind of almost make it like an olympic thing where hey it's it's us against the world you put luke on a team Jokic on a team luca and Jokic don't try either like nobody tries so i don't know if that will get these guys to try i'm not sure it will but just a joke what happened the other night so we'll get to iron eagle here in a minute uh, again it's just slow sports time of the year uh, time to uh Time to recharge your batteries, catch up on TV shows. Um, by the way, TV, I haven't watched a TV show in a long time. Uh, American Nightmare on Netflix. Watch that a few nights ago. Binge that. It's like three episodes. Um, you should watch it. I highly recommend it. It's really, really interesting, really well done. 
Um, and I'm not going to spoil it too much. If you don't want any, I know some people, what's the, uh, the Frank Costanza. I want to go in fresh. So if, if you want to go in fresh, just skip ahead a couple minutes. I just have a, a thought or two on that. For, uh, like I said, it's great. You should watch it. It is infuriating to watch. Oh my God. The, the job the cops did, the job the media did. I mean, first they think the boyfriend did it. And then they're convinced the girl did it to herself. I mean, you can't do a worse job than those cops did in that show. But if you haven't watched it, go watch it. Just uh, it, it, again, it's an infuriating watch. I mean, the cops sitting there telling you they know everything about what happened and they were dead wrong about everything. It's incredible. So it's uh, look, it, it's a good time of year to catch up on TV because football's over. It's not quite March Madness. So it's, uh, it, it's good to have some of these quieter nights, these lesser sports nights, especially like a, a Sunday night with no football, Monday with no football. They put all the college games on a Saturday. They really don't balance the card at all where these Saturdays you're sitting there with like 155, 160 games. Then Sunday, you have like 20. Monday, you have like a dozen. Tuesday and Wednesday, go back to the bigger cards. And then Thursday, it's the, it's the smaller schools. So I don't know if they could balance the schedule a little better. It definitely is a little imbalanced. But we will talk a little more college basketball, some NBA, maybe even getting some NFL with Ian Eagle. That is next. This is the Should Have Bet More podcast. All right, we are back. He is the voice of the Brooklyn Nets, the NFL college basketball you name it the best broadcaster in the business it is iron eagle iron what's going on man thanks for coming on william how are you good to talk to you again bud uh everything is good i wasn't going to start with the nets but look the last week or so they fired their coach jock vaughn no longer the coach uh it's it's hard to think of a team in, in any sport that's gone through more ups and downs for the last five really the last 10 years i guess the question with the nets what is their direction right now with the nets I think the sense that I got from management and from the plan is that they were not happy with the results. They thought their roster was good enough to at least hover around 500 and be a team that would be in not only the playoff mix, but at the very least, the play-in mix. And the fact that they are on the outside looking in right now, uh, over a two-year period, that was not what they envisioned. So the idea that they would hit rock bottom, start over, strip it down, not realistic just based on their draft capital and the trades that were made. So now it's try to squeeze the most out of this roster. And obviously, Sean Marks believes that it was time for a new voice. That's why Kevin Ollie is getting the opportunity. And they expect to win games. And if it's not winning games, it's at least being competitive in games. The 50-point loss right before the All-Star break, bad optic. And I think behind the scenes, there was just a general feeling that uh, the players were not locked in and committed to doing the right things to being a competitive product in the NBA. Seems like they're a little stuck between like they're they're not competing, they're not tanking. Uh, it, that's almost the worst place to be in the NBA, especially when you're like it's one thing to be bad, it's it's another to be bad when you don't have your stuff and like they don't have yep. their picks. Uh, I mean, I don't know how much is true or not with with the Bridges rumors, but sounds like they turned down a lot of offers. You know, four round, four first rounders, five first rounders. Houston said, "Hey, we have have all your stuff. We'll give it back to you if you if you <laughs> get Bridges," which is not very nice. I mean, it's kind of mean, but I. It would have been tempting, you know, if I was the Nets, any of these offers that you've heard that you said, man, maybe they should have done that. Well, I think it's based on your philosophy. So it's not just Sean Marks and what he may believe you need to do 
do in order to build a, a winner. It's also ownership and Joe Sy, and you have to be in lockstep. The fact that the Nets play in Brooklyn, a number one media market in the country, but it is always going to be in the shadow of the New York Knicks. So you have to go about this in a different way. I think for a stretch, the Nets didn't look at the Knicks as the team they're aspiring to match or top within the marketplace. And when they had KD, Kyrie, Harden, truth be told, they weren't even thinking about the Knicks. That that wasn't a topic of conversation around the, the organization. But when you don't have those superstars and now you're relying on fans buying into what it is that you're doing, then there has to be a very clear idea of what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And somewhere along the way, the Nets got into a gray area. I think they're trying to redefine that. Look, part of this, William, you have a really good understanding of this, and I wouldn't presume that most fans do. Most fans just want, give me the best players. Let's go. Let's go to battle. You have to take the salary cap into account. You have to get the repeater tax as part of the equation, there are finances that come into play here, and there is a structure in which you have to run your team. And I think the Nets are finding that out in the aftermath of going for it with all the big names. So the trades were made. You're right. There were some deals potentially that were out there. You never quite know what's real, what's not. But I do know uh, after watching GM's go out and do their thing year in and year out in professional sports, most will not make a move like that and give away the talent they acquired in the big deal, because that would chop away at your own credibility of evaluating talent. They evaluated the talent of Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson as two pieces that they could build with. The idea that He's the main piece. He's the third piece. Forget all that. Are they pieces that can be a part of this thing moving forward? And I think the Nets truly believe that they are. It's not that long ago, the summer of 2021. They bury Boston in the first round, make, make yeah. Boston really look like a junior varsity team. And, and they were killing Milwaukee. Games yes. one, game two, even with Harden, where he gets, goes down the first minute of game one. And they let game three get away. Then Kyrie gets hurt in game four. And before you know it, you're in game seven where anything can happen. Katie guys, that's not that long ago where they just, they, they were clearly the best team in the league. It just, yes. it feels like a faint memory at times where it was like just, it came and it went before you could even process it. And things happen. You know, that's the thing about sports. You don't play the games on paper. You don't win championships on a talk show. You have to actually go out and do it. So the Nets were right in the mix of everything that you just alluded to. If not for a Kyrie injury, if not for KD's toe being just across the line, we might be having a completely different conversation if not for Durant getting injured and then James Harden determining that he didn't want to be there anymore and KD wasn't around to help placate that situation. There are a lot of ifs in sports. There are a lot of sliding door theories. There are a lot of butterfly effects. The reality is the reality. And where the Nets are today is the reality. What could have been, what should have been, it's great fodder, but 
when you look up who won the 2021 title and it's the Milwaukee Bucks that can't be taken away and they're dealing with their own drama now, but that's there forever. Could have easily been the Nets. And then maybe we're talking about a completely different set of circumstances here in February of 2024. Yeah, I know Zach Lowe, who covers League for ESPN, you've been on his podcast. He was talking once about, uh, it was after that Boston series that I'm alluding to, and we'll move on to the rest of the league. But after that Boston series, some league executives, league, like rivals of the Nets are saying, boy, if those dudes, if they don't fuck it up, we're all in trouble. And <laughs> look around and... Uh, they, they did. I mean, it just, it, it didn't work. You mentioned the Bucks. Is that fixable? Do they get back on track? It seems like Boston, you never want to say they got a red carpet all the way to the finals, but if they don't make the finals this year, it, it'd be hard to see somebody knocking off. Uh, what's your thoughts with Milwaukee in terms of like where this has gone wrong? If it's fixable. Yeah. I had that Bucks game right before the all-star break in Memphis. And that was a culmination of all the stuff going on with them coming to a head, uh, which is inconsistency and maybe, a little bit of a lack of belief and chemistry. And uh, I am not sure how that's going to play out. I do think Middleton will help them immensely. He does make up for, for some of their, their current issues as a go-between, as someone they can lean on in key moments. But what's his status? Uh, how is he holding up? This is an ankle thing that doesn't appear to be a big deal. Uh, the knee is is the bigger issue. In talking to Doc Rivers, he said, hey, the, the main focus is that that guy is 100% come playoff time. Nobody's going to remember February and March and early April. Everybody's going to remember the playoffs. And if Chris Middleton is healthy, this team has a chance to compete. If he's not, they probably can't, even with Adetokounmpo and with Lillard. Is it fixable? I think it is. I do think it takes a little bit of time. There's a transition period, of course, with a new head coach. Doc has been under a lot of scrutiny, uh, but he did walk into a fairly challenging set of circumstances. Long road trip for the Bucs, uh, maybe tough part of their schedule, and then just trying to get everybody on the same page and hearing a new voice and empowering certain guys. I think uh, Doc has really tried to get in Damian Lillard's ear saying, hey, dude, you got to go take it. You're deferring. Why? Don't. You're Damian Lillard. Go take it. And maybe coming off the All-Star break, we're going to see a bit more of that. How about college basketball? You got Alabama, Kentucky this weekend. You are the yeah. first person in history to do this podcast and the Final Four in the same year. So congratulations <laughs> on that. Uh, I was aspiring to that, William. Thank you. Who are the best couple of teams you've seen? Are you over the belief it's UConn than everybody else? They got humbled uh, the other night against Creighton. Where are you at with here? Just like I, I know you've seen Purdue. You'll see Bama and Kentucky yep. this weekend. Where are you at here at college basketball? Yeah, and I'll see UConn the week after. We have Seton Hall at UConn coming up in a couple of weeks in stores saw Purdue in person saw Houston in person saw Iowa State in person Kansas in person I would tell you that Houston has been the most impressive team that I've seen just in uh, the fact that they lean into who they are uh, they're a defensive-minded team uh, they will beat you on that side of the ball they're going to make you work for everything there is a real commitment to what they do and their philosophy. I do think Kelvin Sampson has a knack in developing players and injecting them with confidence and seeing them improve exponentially with each year that goes by. Are there concerns offensively? 
if they just can't put the ball in the basket, yeah, there are. Free throws, too. Free throws are Free throws is an issue. Yep. No doubt about it. Uh, that That's a problem. But they are the team that most resembles who they say they are on a nightly basis. Did it again against Iowa State. That home court is real. The, the Fertitta yep. Center is a real home court advantage. 7,100 people. They are into it. They have absolutely re-energized the culture there. Purdue, their guard play, I think, should be better than it was a year ago. Uh, I do think Smith uh, gives them an edge in, in how they play and the fact that they can absolutely count on him uh, during key moments. But you're asking me, are these teams beatable? It's been proven. They're all beatable. UConn fell to a good Creighton team that had a good game plan and had a legitimate uh, big man to deal with their big. And I think often, and I know you follow this very closely, you take teams that are in a quality conference, get them out of the conference, and now put them against other competition in the NCAA tournament. There's a reason why Michigan State normally plays well in the NCAA tournament. Their style travels. And sometimes when familiarity seeps into it, you can beat them, uh, which we're seeing in the Big Ten. Purdue, for whatever reason, it's been the opposite. Uh, they've been so good in conference, but then they get into the tournament. And I don't know if it if it's just simple, like they go away from who they are or who they want to be, but you got Zach Eady, you should be using him. And he should be touching the ball every single time down the floor in some form. So best team I've seen in person has been Houston. And curious to see UConn and, and what their mix looks like coming off the championship. I think they'll still have the fire under Danny Hurley. You still have to catch some breaks in the NCAA tournament too. Your draw goes a long way in whether or not you win a championship. We're at that stage of college basketball. It's not just simply you're going to go out and dominate everybody. It's who you see, when you see them, what style do they play, what site are you in, and then your worst day, can you find a way? What we've seen with Purdue on their worst day the last couple of years in the tournament, they have not been able to find a way. Yeah, and what UConn did last year is is the exception. It's not the rule where they just mow through everybody. They didn't even have a tight game with four or five minutes ago. It's very strange, and especially strange for them because they, they didn't play great in the Big East. I think they came in like fourth in the Big East. So that was a, a, a run that was out of nowhere. How about you with the final four? Will you... You've done so many games. It's it's weird to say. Will you be nervous? But six oh nine Saturday night final four. Will there be a little jitters, or it's just another game to you? Uh, I don't think it'll be jitters. I think it's more anticipation. I think it's more knowing the responsibility that comes with that role, not just for CBS and for Turner, but for the NCAA and for these kids that are in their respective programs. That this is the biggest game they're going to play in. Most of them in their life. Majority will not go to the NBA. The majority. This is it. This is the ceiling. So knowing you're the voice track for that, wanting to do right by them, wanting to nail the calls and be on top of the action and process what you're seeing. You know, I'm pretty fortunate in that I call so many games over the course of a year. The muscle memory of doing games plays a big role to me. Something pops up 
in front of you, you've seen it, you've experienced it, you've described it before. Maybe you have a variation on it. Uh, maybe you have a new spin on it, but you nailed it. Uh, it's a little different. The stage is a little different, but the reality is still it's it's a basketball game. And I've literally done thousands of them over the course of my 30 year career. So uh, I'm going to. I'm going to trust the instincts to take over in those moments. And it's you and Raftery or is it you, you, you Raftery and Grant Hill? Yes. Me, Raft, Grant Hill, Tracy Wolfson. That's the so, the core group for the final four. These are really close friends of mine. Raft will be able to keep an eye on you, keep you out of trouble too. That'll be. The <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Bill, Bill really likes to take on that additional responsibility of worrying about me the night before games. Uh, there, there's just a lot of shared experiences there so when when you have that kind of dynamic going it, it makes it even all the more easier to step in and just do your job well couple quick football ones before we get you out of here yep one game to win brady or mahomes oh man <laughs> one game to win brady or mahomes uh the the stats tell you one thing because brady did it time and time and time again but here's the thing about that comparison. If we did this same chat 13 years ago and you know maybe your facial hair wasn't as prominent at the time and uh, you're a younger man and we didn't see all the accomplishments and you said, all right, one game to win, Montana or Brady, most at that point would have said, well, Montana, it's Joe Montana. And it just shows you how things change and shift. So with that comparison in mind, I would tell you Mahomes. Wow. One game to win. When it's all said and done, when we now do this same conversation 12 years from now, I think the answer is going to be Mahomes. I'm not surprised you said I'm I'm surprised you were so definitive. I I I said it after they beat Miami. I said I've never it was never a gap between the best player and the second best player like there is with Mahomes because even Brady had Manning and people say oh Manning didn't have the same career uh, you yep. know as Brady which uh, is a little bit recency biased because Manning didn't have the longevity but Manning made seven first team All Pros Manning was every bit the player Brady was if not better very much so. in the regular season Mahomes doesn't have that guy I mean he can run he can throw I mean it's just yep. it's unbelievable how good he is um, and I can't believe that team won it this year I mean it, it freeze frame it and back in December. Or, or oh, certain Raider points, game? Like, oh my God, they couldn't move the ball. They were so like, it couldn't catch the ball. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what struck me about them this year was the first time I really felt it. The mystique was gone. Yes. When teams were playing them, they did not fear them like they did in previous years. And I would venture to say into the postseason, that feeling was still there prior to the Kansas City Baltimore game. That was still a theme that week that. Yeah, they're good defensively, but, you know, get a load of Lamar Jackson. Look at the season that he's had. How are they going to contain him? Well, they did. They did all that. They didn't do a whole lot offensively, as we know, in that game. And the biggest difference for me this year with Kansas City, as opposed to other years, was the fact that their defense would come up with a huge play. And it wasn't just... Uh, uh, added bonus it became the norm and then you put Mahomes in those situations on a must-have drive and he figured it out you know that Baltimore game in particular second half they did nothing no. offensively but third down they needed one play to end the game and they do uh, to Valdez Scantling it's over that's it and that's Mahomes 
that's the trust in him. That's the belief uh, that's elevating other guys at moments during the season. So all of that is true. And with, with all the, the younger generation OCs getting head coaching opportunities, the coaching tree of McVay and Shanahan, it's all great. And I love it. I I love that about the NFL, that you can see seeds of something germinating and then it turns into something bigger. But as we applaud all of them and laud them, Andy Reid is still an OG. He's still doing it his way. And it's still working. <laughs> the game has not passed him by. He's adjusted with it. He had a incredible talent at quarterback and he continues to maximize it's a perfect marriage. It really, truly is a perfect marriage of coach QB. Last one before I get you out of here. Where were you? Were you doing the Monday night game when Rodgers get hurt? What was your reaction? Because you have a New York background, obviously. Like you did FAN yeah. for a long time. You know the Jet fan. That guy's also a Met fan. He's always expecting the worst. There was so much optimism. <laughs> and then four plays in, it, it happens. Where were you? What was your reaction? Uh, I was home. I just wrapped up. My uh, initial game of the season for CBS had an off night. I uh, was getting ready for the Thursday game. If I remember Minnesota Philly yep. might've been in week two. So doing some prep there games on the television uh, was all in on the intros on the open on Rogers running out, holding the American flag, light bulbs flashing. I thought, ESPN did a great job capturing all of the pageantry of that. And then when it happens on the opening drive for the Jets, I had done the preseason package. So met with Rogers during the preseason, uh, heard everything from their side of things, dealt with Robert Sala, not only in the preseason, but also I did a, a secondary interview with him for our CBS NFL seminar. So was completely familiar with how they were approaching things and saw that happen. Didn't believe it at first. There's that moment of disbelief where you say, no, that's not, that's not, it's not happening. He's going to be okay. And then saw the replay and knew it's not okay. That's it. That's it for the year. That's it for their chances. And everything that was said in the preseason from Rodgers to Zach to Sala led to an authentic belief that this was going to be a great learning experience for Zach Wilson. And he wanted it. He saw the advantages of being in that second chair under Aaron Rodgers. And all of that flipped on its side in that moment, changed careers uh, changed futures and similar to what we talked about earlier in regards to the nets, like stuff that you can't control that you can't go back and change. This is it. This is now the new reality. And now they try to do it again in 2024 with uh, Rogers and what will I'm sure be a new look offensive line and uh, hold their breath and hope that uh, the Achilles holds up and he can just, go back and try to recreate some of the magic that he had. He's not a young man. And uh, I know he, he loves to have a chip on his shoulder and he loves the challenge and he loves the question marks, but you know, father time is undefeated. He's still hard to beat. So 
he's battling that as well. It's it's going to be highly, highly interesting to see how this all unfolds. Yeah, it was too bad because I thought they were going to be good too. And yep. it's just, it's hard now. Like you said, he's going to be 40. He's coming off the Achilles. That that AFC, oh my God, with Herbert getting hardball with, I mean, you still got the, you know, the Josh Allens, the Mahomes, Burroughs yep. coming back. I mean, it's just, it's a loaded, loaded conference. It's yeah. not, it's not an easy place to live. No doubt about it. And I think the, the one thing that we do know in regards to the NFL is you can get these, these one year, outlier pushes from certain teams that find a little something they take advantage of a weaker schedule uh, they catch a break on their schedule playing a team that's better than them on a week where they don't have their star player or uh, they're coming off a short week your opponent is and you take advantage of that so the nfl has figured out that part of it there's a reason why parity plays so well in the nfl that every year i think it's I believe it's like 22 of the last 23, uh, a team that was in last place in their division has finished first the following year. That doesn't happen in other sports. The reason it happens in the NFL is understandable. Injuries, free agency, draft. You can turn your team and strength of schedule. You can turn your team around. You can. And the Jets could have one of these one year, if everything breaks right, they could be a 12, 13 win team and then get into the postseason. And then who knows who you're playing against and what the circumstances are. And are you healthy? It can happen in the NFL. So I think that's part of the reason why even a fan base that is intrinsically pessimistic can go into 2024 starting to train their brains to believe, well, maybe not. Maybe it does work out this year if everything just falls into place. Yeah, I think the Jets fan is so scarred. They're going to have to see it. They're going to have to see like a five and one, six and two before they get a little hope because I think they're uh, <laughs> still a little burned from last year. But Ian, you're the best man. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, hopefully we'll do this again soon. You got it, bud. Always great talking to you, William. All right, that'll do it. Thank you to Ian Eagle. Boy, I was uh, I was surprised he said Mahomes. I, I not not that that's the wrong answer. I was surprised he uh, he gave such a definitive answer. I thought because he, he's worked with Brady a lot. Like he's look, he works for CBS. He's done a lot of those Patriot games. I thought he was kind of kind of toe the line and say, hey, Brady's got the longer career. Mahomes is great too. But boy, he was pretty definitive. I totally agree. Mahomes is uh, Mahomes would have been my answer too. Mahomes is my answer. So. Always great to talk to Ian. Appreciate you guys listening. We'll be back Monday. Enjoy the weekend. See you then.